there's some of you in here who don't know, who don't know that you're surrounded by a bunch of broken people who at one time had no hope and today have hope. And so uh, I'm not speaking to you as a person who, um, well, everything that Luis has said, I'm speaking to you as a person with experience who knows that God is great, his, his power is able, and that he can free us. And as we look today to the scripture for the solutions on how not to become an addict, and although I'll give you instruction on how to become an addict, um, my prayer is that you would realize that I'm not, I'm not talking at you. I'm with you. And uh, so if you're here and you're struggling, we're really glad you're here. If you're here and everyone around you thinks you're struggling except you, we're grateful that you're here. If you're here and you have multiple decades of freedom from a particular substance or action, we celebrate you, but we're grateful that you're here. In this series, what we've been discussing is a philosophy of life that we're praying that gets across. So let me give you a synopsis of the series, and then we'll get into today's text. Basically, we said that there are two ways people live life, two ways Christians live life. One is to go as close to the edge, as close to the ledge as possible. To live their lives on the very edge of sin without trying to go over. It's why in my, uh, it's why in my office or in private conversation, people will come up to me and go, yeah, I know, but um, can I do this? Yeah, I know what the Bible says about sex, but can I do this? Yeah, I know what the Bible says about money, but can I do this? What they're doing is they're asking ledge questions. They're asking ledge questions. How close can I get to the edge without falling off? How close can I get to the edge without disaster? And we said that for the Christian, that is a nightmare way of living life. For the Christian, the question shouldn't be how close can I get to the ledge? The question should be how close can I get to my Lord? How much, how can I honor Jesus? How much, how much can my actions, my desires, my thoughts, the inclinations of my heart, how much can they be in line with the heart of Christ? Not how close can I get to the ledge, but how close can I get to my Lord? And so that's what we've been saying in this series. And so the, the big idea for the entire series is evaluate before you devastate. Check your heart. Look at your life. Ask yourself this question. Am I going closer to the ledge or am I going closer to the Lord? Evaluate before you devastate because here's what I know. I know that this is not a theoretical conversation for some of us. For some of us, there's great devastation. Great devastation if we don't listen up. If we don't steer clear from the wrecking of our lives. And uh, we said it another way. Uh, if, you didn't, uh, if you couldn't remember evaluate before you devastate, we said it this way. What the series is all about is really that you would check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? And so we said that, um, that we want to live a life that is open before Jesus and saying, Jesus, you could say, Put your finger on anything in my life. Address any issue, my attitude, my behaviors, actions, desires, my hopes and dreams. Put your finger on any area of my life. You have full reign. So we started the series with introducing it in the way that I just told you about and two weeks ago. We talked about how to, be, how to have an adultery, how to have an adulterous affair. And so we explained how to do that, and, and that was a quiet one. And, um, and, and last week, we talked about how to lose your faith. That there are clear steps, clear indicators. We gave you five ways that you could lose your faith. This week, we're going to talk about how to lose, uh, how to become an addict. And when I read you these five ways of becoming an addict, I want you to understand that this is, 
I read it with an edge because we're not playing here. This is, this is called five ways to wreck your life because there really are ways to wreck your life. And when you see friends who are on train tracks and you hear the rumbling of the train and you hear the train coming, you do not. It's, it's not a polite conversation. And so if you've been offended, and I know we've had a couple of people be offended. I've re I read the prayer requests and all that other stuff. And, and, and if, you've been, if you've felt uncomfortable, um, I want you to go beyond whatever offense I might be giving, which are, of which I am very sorry. I don't want to be offensive. I want the gospel to be offensive. I want you to look past any offense that I've given you and ask yourself, am I? going in this direction. So I'm going to give them to you up front. Here are the five ways you can become an addict. Here's the first one. Are you ready? Write these down because they're important. Don't admit you have a problem. Never admit that there might be a problem. Listen, here's a way you can do it. Here's a way you can do it. The way you can admit, the way you can go uh, to the point and convince yourself not to admit that you have a problem is listen, simply tell yourself you can stop whenever you want. Tell that to yourself. Make sure you make that the mantra of your life and make sure that whenever the Holy Spirit starts to convict you about the actions that you're doing, go, don't worry, I can stop. Whatever, whenever I want. And if the Holy Spirit sends people into your life to confront you, what you need to do, if they're going to confront you about the issue at hand, about the addiction that you're going through, about the problem that you have with uh, relationships or food, with the problem that you have with control or money, with the problem that you have, if they're going to confront you on these things, what I want you to do is just get them out of your life. Remove them. Silence the critics. That's the first thing you're going to have to do. You're going to have to admit. You're going to have to not admit that you have a problem. The second thing, if you're going to become an addict, now remember, there, this is a process, so you just can't just not admit you're an addict. You have to go to step two, and that's to gratify your fleshly desires at every single prompting. You're hungry? Eat. You feel, you feel like those sweets? Have them right away. Give yourself no rebukes. Tell yourself no at no time. Dive into whenever you have an inclination, follow that inclination. Never tell yourself no. Gratify your fleshly desires at every prompting. Here's what I need you to do. The reason that this is so important is because I need you to train your body to be a slave to every prompting. I need you to be able to equate thought with must action. I have to, you have to marry those. Because if you ever get the idea that a thought is just a thought and doesn't have to be acted out on, you might gain freedom from addiction, and we don't want that. Marry thought and action. Want a sweet? Have it. Make sure, make sure that they're easy enough to locate so that you can have it at any time. Thirdly, rationalize your behavior. If you're going to become an addict, you're going to have to get used to making excuses about, about the ways you behave. And here's the deal, because if you're on the way to becoming an addict, here's what you will do. Everyone does this. You'll have to reevaluate your standard. Here's what I mean by this. You go, oh man, I'd never, you know, you look across the room and you say, I'll never be like that person. But you know what happens if you, if you follow the suggestions I'm giving you, you're going to eventually be like that person. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to, to reevaluate your standard. And so you have to find somebody else who's worse than you or something else worse than what you're doing. 
So you have to, listen, so in that way, you'll be able to rationalize your behavior, make plenty of excuses of why you do what you do. Make plenty of them. Uh, be sure to tell yourself that it's, it's her fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. You know, if everyone would just stop coming down on, you know, if everyone would just leave me. Tell yourself those things. Let me give you a few others to tell yourself. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be like this if it wasn't for, you know, and then just fill in anything in the blank. It doesn't matter what it is. Anything to not point the finger at yourself. Because if you start looking at yourself, you might break the cycle of addiction. And we don't want that. Rationalize your behavior. Be sure that your voice is the only voice you listen to. Fourth, keep your sin a secret. Now, this is so, so important. It's hard to become an addict um, if you're just flagrant about it from the beginning. If you're going to be successful at being an addict, you're going to have to keep your sin a secret for as long as humanly possible. In fact, never confess it. Wait till you're found out. And then when you're found out, never confess it fully. You know, just say, oh, yeah, you know, and just confess just as much, just enough to get whoever's on your back off your back. Keep your sin a secret. Because here's the deal. Addictions grow in the dark. You know, plants grow in the sun, addictions, sin in general, they grow in the dark. And so you got to keep no light, you got to keep all light away from it. That's why when Jesus says, be in the light, for I am in the light, you got to ignore that stuff. You can't, you can't obey that stuff. Because if you start being honest, then you might have to honestly confront yourself and you might not be ready. So let's review, because this is complex, I know. But um, I, want you to, I want you to really get this down on how to be an addict. First one is I, don't, I, I, want you to, I want you to firstly to don't admit you have a problem. Do not admit you have a problem. Secondly, gratify, gratify your fleshly desires. Thirdly, rationalize your behavior. Fourthly, keep your sin a secret. And then, fifthly, and if you don't do this one, you won't be able to make it all the way to addict, Okay. So this is a big one. That's why I left it last. I want you to remember it. Depend on your own power. Never ask God for help. Never in humility go before the Lord and say, I can't do this. But what I want you to do is say, I can do this, and then depend on your own power over and over and over again. And, even, and especially in contrary, in contrary to your experience, how your power never works. Just, just don't even believe that. Just always depend on your own power. Never rely on God. Never ask God. Never pray. Anything other than God get me out of this. I mean, you can pray that because that's only, that's only pointing at the circumstance within your addiction. That's not pointing to your addiction. As long as it stays away from your addiction, you're in good shape. Your prayers, that is. This is how you become an addict. But I want you to understand that addiction is far deeper than what you do. Addiction, while this will help you to become an, uh, will help you to become an addict, addiction is far deeper than what you act out on. Addiction is far deeper than the habit that you contribute to. Addiction has to do with fundamental loves of the heart. Fundamental desires of the heart. So today, we're going to look at addiction from beyond. I want you to look at sin and addiction from beyond the action, from beyond the acting out. We're, listen, listen, listen. Some of you have a food addiction. And I want you to look beyond the food that you eat. Some of you have a sex addiction. And I want you to look beyond the pornography and the peep shows and the, 
and the lies and the secrets and the running around and the trying to keep this, all these things kind of connected in your brain so that you keep all the lies straight. I want you to look beyond that. Some of you are literally addicted to drugs. You are actively addicted. And everybody knows around you and you think you're fooling everybody and you think because you have a Visine or you think because you have um, you know, a, sp a, a, a bottle spray, you think that nobody else knows. I'm telling you, everybody knows. Everybody knows. I want you to think beyond your actions. Some of you have an addiction. Have an addiction to shopping. I want you to think beyond that. And I want you to look to what the Bible is going to tell us. The Bible knows that you and I will struggle with things. We'll give ourselves to things. And so it's actually everywhere. If you want to find addiction in the Bible, just look up the word idolatry. If you want to find addiction in the Bible, all you have to do is look this one word up, idol. All an idol is, is an addiction, is something other than Jesus that takes your affection. In fact, an idol is anything more important than God to your happiness, to your meaning in life, and identity. That's a quote, by the way, from Tim Keller. An idol is anything more important than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity. Wherever your happiness lies, wherever your identity lies, wherever your uh, meaning in life lies. So it's possible. It's possible to have your children as your idol. Because they are your idol. If, you, if they grow up well, then that proves that you're a good parent. And that's where your identity lies. And it actually goes a little bit deeper, but we'll get to that in a second. Your, your idol could be your spouse. Because if she loves you, you are lovable. And if he thinks you're great, then you're great. And if he says that you're beautiful, then you're beautiful. But if they don't, it's my identity is on them. So I want you to look at this. God says this everywhere. We're going to read five verses. Honestly, I wanted to do 11. It's not even possible. Um, I, I don't even know how I'm going to get through these five verses in the short period of time that we have. But I want you to listen. I want you to be asking yourself, what is more important than Jesus to me? What if, if right now, with the snap of a finger, I could give you everything that you desire? Car, girls, you know, you go down, whatever your list is in your, what will make you happy? And Jesus wasn't at all in that equation. Would that be heaven for you? For some of you, yes. And if I took all of those things away, but gave you just Jesus, would that be hell for you? For some of you, that would be true. So we're going to read the scriptures. Uh, we have a tradition in our church to stand at the reading of God's word because we want to be reminded physically that God's word has more authority um, than our opinions, our desires, our thoughts. And so we stand as a reminder of the excellency of who God is and, um, and the supremacy of his word. So um, let's read from verse 1. From verse 1. Uh, we're going to read from 1 to 5. One, two, three. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died in your life now, hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, 
which is idolatry. This is God's word. Have a seat. You have the rest of the verses on your bulletin. You can study them as you go home, or you can read them as you go home. Um, Let's look at this text, because remember, God is trying to speak something deep into our hearts, and it's deeper than our actions. Some of you here, because you don't have the addiction of what addicted people have, you think that you don't have an idolatrous heart, or you think that you're free from this message. This message is for you. Some of you, because you think like me, that you have a period of freedom from one idol or one addiction, that you're free from this message, you're not. This message is for you. Some of you, because you just go, oh, I don't, I don't have a problem. Everybody else has a problem. That this message, listen, this message is for you. Since then, Paul says, since then, what is Paul referring to? Whenever you see stuff like that, starting a sentence, you know that Paul is pointing back to uh, something that he just recently said, and he was talking about verse 19, which we won't get into. But since then, since what I just said is true, and go to chapter 2 to see what he was just saying. Since what I just said is true, you have been raised with Christ. Stop. This is breathtaking. It doesn't say you will be raised with Christ. Now, here's the deal. We're speaking to Christians here, right? If you don't know Jesus, I wish you would. Listen, we're even going to have communion. I pray that you would just go, listen, Jesus, I don't believe you, but would you open my heart to maybe believe you? Or I thought I believed in you. And Listen, I don't know where you're at, but would you just start talking to Jesus and tell him, come into my heart, show me. Tell me your truth. Turn my heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Just tell Jesus that. But for the Christian, it says, you have been raised from the dead. That something happened in history that happened for you. You have been raised from the dead. You have resurrection life. You've died to those things that used to control you, that used to order you around. You've been raised because in Christ you've been raised. In Christ, you have all the riches. When you say, but I can't, you, I, I wonder, I wonder if you're saved. Because it's not about you. It's what Christ has done. It's about what Jesus has accomplished. You've been raised. But I, I, I've been smoking for, but you've been raised. But I've been tethered to this. But you've been raised. Believe it, beloved. You've been raised. Raised from the death that you've been living to a life found in Christ, if you are in Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Since you've been raised with Christ, since what I just said is true in chapter 2, Set your hearts on things above. And boy, this is where it all lies. Set your hearts on things above. And when it says set your hearts on things above, in the very next phrase, it's going to tell you what the things above are. It's where Christ is. But when the Bible says set your heart on things above, it's talking about your desires, your longings. You see, where your longings are, your legs will go. Where your desires are is where your direction is heading. Your longings determine where your legs go. Set your hearts, set your desires on things that are not of this world. And to say that for some of us, it's so foreign. My desires, listen, you know what I want? I just want a better paying job. That's where my desires are. That's why if you don't get the better paying job, you want to kill yourself. My desires are on getting married. That's why you will sacrifice your morals to sleep with anyone for the sake of getting your God, which is marriage. My desire is to be... a look good 
That's why you spend this insane amount of time in the gym and buy all of these clothes. Listen to me. Your desires, it's too low. It's not that God can't satisfy your desires. It's that you're too easily pleased. Too easily pleased with things that are not as grand as God. So set your heart. You're raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. Set your heart on Jesus. Set your heart not on accomplishing your goals. Set your heart not on, don't determine your life based upon your goals or your hopes or your dreams. But let them be based upon Christ who is your goal, who is your hope, who is your dream, who is your life. Set your heart on things above, your desires on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, a couple of things. For those of you, and I know that we have a lot of people who come from different backgrounds. Man, we're in Brooklyn, so that means we got a bunch of uh, Catholics in the room. We have a bunch of Jehovah Witnesses in the room. Uh, now Mormons are growing in Brooklyn, but for sure we have Catholics and Jehovah Witnesses. And so I, I want you to—I just—I I want you to hear that this is is evidence pointing to Jesus as God. And you go, well, I don't see it. Well, number one, Paul is not saying that Christ is literally in a seated position on a throne, like you would think of a throne. Um, and then the Father is right next to him, and they're giving each other high fives as Jesus is seated, and the Father is either seated or standing next to him, and that's the way it works out. No, no, no. Jesus is alluding to his, uh, Paul is alluding to Jesus' power. He's saying Jesus is, Jesus is the one who's sitting on the throne. That he's, now, that is either blasphemy or true. That is either a, a that is either damnable or it means that Jesus is God. Because you can't say that Jesus is on the throne at the right hand of power or of God. Because it's to equate Jesus with God. That's what Paul is doing. God has come in the flesh from heaven to earth to live the life that you should not live, that you did not live, but should have. And he's, listen, he's come to die. He came to die the death that you deserve but don't have to. He's, he's for you. God himself came, bared the penalty of your sin. You go, what does that mean? Listen, have, do you, have you ever done something you regret? Okay, there's only, the only people who have never done, there actually is a name for people who have never done anything that they regret. We call them sociopaths, okay? <laughs> So there probably is one or two things that you've done in life that you wish, man, I wish I hadn't hurt that person. I wish I hadn't done that thing. Well, you deserve a punishment for that. Even if those people can't find you, even if they're long dead, you deserve a punishment for that. You know it, and I know it. That's why you talk to yourself the way you do. That's why you say the things uh, to yourself the way you do. You know you deserve a punishment. Jesus says, I'll take the punishment for you. And then he did. He packed in an eternity of punishment six hours on a Friday. An eternity of punishment that you and I deserve. Take that personally. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. You've done that for me? You are God and you've loved me in this way? That should set your heart aflame. He goes on to say, set your minds on things. First set your hearts, then set your minds. So not only set your desires, but set your thoughts. Have you ever, let me ask you, do you ever think about what you think about? You should. Think about what you think about. Think about what you think about, because there are things that you say to yourself that you wouldn't allow anybody else to say to you. There are things that you believe about yourself that you wouldn't allow anybody else to believe about you. There are things, listen, think about your thoughts. There are, there are thoughts that you have that are, if you said them out loud, you'd be embarrassed. Think about what you think about. Set those thoughts, set those ideas, set those minds on things above, which is what? Where is Christ is seated? At the right hand of God, which is to say Jesus is God. Not on earthly things, and that's the rub. 
Because all of our joy lies in earthly things. Isn't it true? They, we'll be happy if we just have health. We'll be happy if we just have the money. We'll be happy if we just have the car. We'll be happy if we just have the house. We'll be happy once we move out of the, the halfway house or we move out of the homeless shelter. We'll be happy once what we want happens, then we'll be happy. Get the marriage, buy the clothes, kid gets better. We'll be, ha we'll be happy. Jesus says, no, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because let me tell you something. Everything, everything, everything on this earth will pass away. And believe me, before you pass away, you'll see how vain everything was. Remember when you were in junior high school? What was the most important thing in junior high? It's like being popular, right? Do you even care what those people think about you right now? Like, does that even, work? Does that even come into your mind? But it was, I tell you, it was one of the most important things uh, what was the most important thing? What was the most important thing in life that you look back on and you go, ugh? You know? Like, you know, when you were a little kid, right, trying to get on that little league team, being like first to at bat or whatever. It's like the most important thing in life. And now it has no importance for you. I, I was talking to my daughter about this, right? Because the most important thing in life to me when I was, uh, for like 10 years, in like late teens and early 20s, was music. I played the guitar, right? It was so important to me, I got a tattoo of the Chinese symbol of symphony on my leg. I don't know if you know this, but I'm Puerto Rican. So important to me. It's like, I can't remember. It's not that important to me anymore. Set your minds on things above. Set your hearts on things above. For you died. There it is, beautiful. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you die. Have you ever tried to tempt a corpse? Have you, let me tell you something. If you're an alcoholic your whole life, and you died, after drinking a ton of alcohol, you had alcohol poisoning. Let me try to tempt you then. I guarantee you, you won't reach for it. You know why? You're dead. That's true too in Christ. You're dead to it. You go, no, I'm not dead to it. That's because your mind is fixed on things on earth, not on things above. You've trained yourself. You trained your body to react. Thought, action. Desire, completion. It's in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, for you died, and I'm sorry, back to three. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This means, this means, the life that you now live is Christ's life. You go, I can't do it. I know. That's the point. That's the whole point of Christianity is that you and I get an F in life and Jesus lives his life through us. That you and I can't do it. If you leave here, listen, addicts, listen to me. If you leave here and go, I'm going to determine to not act out on that food. I'm going to determine to not out, act out on that thing. If you leave here saying that that was the point of this message, you've missed the point. The point is you cannot determine, but you can ask Jesus to live his life through you, setting your mind on things above, setting your affections on Christ. You can ask Jesus, and he can do it in you. And he does. He does. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also, then also will appear. Uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love that. Okay, so there's this whole thing of the right now and not yet. So here's how it is. Right now, you're perfect in Christ. Now, if you don't know Christ, this doesn't apply to you. 
But if you know Christ, right now you're perfect. Right now you don't have to act out. Right now you don't have to go to that drink. Right now you don't have to go back to that lover. Right now you don't have to go back to that food. Right now you don't have to go back to that unforgiveness. Right now you don't have to be controlled by that vice. Right now. Right now. And then, not yet. Right now it's true. And then when Christ comes, you'll see it. Right now it's true, and it's coming. And it's happening. You are right now free in Christ. And when Christ appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Since all of this is true, and all of this was way of theology and trying to get us to understand where it's not about, listen, it's not about just saying no. Please, please don't try harder when you leave this sermon. It's about running to Christ and saying, I can't. And it's, it's even deeper than that. It's even deeper than that. Because we don't want to go to action. We want to go to idolatry. So here's what he says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul in two lists, and if you go down closer to verse 11, maybe close verse 9 to 10, um, Paul gives another list. He's just, he's just throwing out the things that we do, but then he puts this caveat, goes, which is idolatry. That's what it is. It's the thing behind the thing. You see, you and I can act out on the same thing for different reasons. You and I can be addicted to the same substance and be worshiping different gods. See, when you and I are tempted, when you and I fix our eyes on things below, that means on earth, what happens is, is our soul desperately needs to be warmed. And what we do is we find something that warms our soul. This became very real to me when I was doing a fast one time. And I realized, and this, this, this thought came to me through a, uh, a book that I was reading by John Piper, Hungry for God, that food numbs me to my need for Christ. That I'll have a longing, and rather than going to Jesus with that longing, I warm myself by food. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. We could both be using food for totally different reasons. You and I have idols. In the end, there are four basic things, idols, behind the reason that you act out, behind the reason that you sin. And you can, if, if you want to write this down, this might not be uh, unhelpful. This might be helpful for you. Um, it's comfort. Some of us, the real reason, it's comfort. That's why we want to warm ourselves. That's what this does. It warms us. It's comfort. Comfort is the thing for you. So let's take an addiction, any addiction at all. Eating. Eating sound fine, right? Okay. So I'm, I'm addicted to food. And so here's what I tell myself. Oh, I'm a food addict. No, 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 no. No, you're not. You got a worship problem. You worship things below. We don't, listen, we don't have alcoholics here. We have worshipers. We don't have drug addicts here, we have worshipers. We don't have sex addicts here, we have worshipers. And they're fantastic worshipers, they just worship the wrong thing. And so maybe your God is comfort. So okay, I'm a food addict, right? Okay, so maybe my God is comfort. What happens is, is that when I eat, it brings me comfort. It alleviates my anxiety, it brings me comfort. It's a feeling stuffer, so that's what I do. Maybe your idol is comfort. But the same food addict, maybe it's not comfort. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's control. Maybe the reason that I eat the food is to control how I feel or control how I look. Control. Maybe that's the thing behind the thing. Maybe that's the idol behind my addiction. For some of us, it's power. It's power. We use food 
as a weapon. It's, uh, it's the mother who overfeeds her daughter so that she gets so heavy that she has low self-esteem and doesn't feel like anybody could love her so that the mother can keep her home. See, the thing, it's power, it's control. So we said, what did we say? We said, uh, comfort, control, power. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe just the reason that we do it is because we want to we wanna make the sensors in our mind just explode. Maybe I'm just looking for a good time, and this is the way I get my good time. So same addiction, food, right? And you see how you can be bowing down to a different God. You could be warming yourself by different fires. Listen to me. Jesus said he would be the one. He would be the one that comes. You feel lonely? Don't run to the thing. Run to Jesus. But I'm so lonely. I know Jesus gave you that desire so that you could run and rely on him. But I feel, I feel so depressed. I know Jesus gave you. And believe me, the voice of experience is speaking here, man. Jesus gave you that so that you might run to him to be elated. But I feel like so pained by my past. I know Jesus is allowing you to remember that past so that you could run to him and find your joy and satisfaction in him. Beloved, I'm telling you, what's your idol? Is it, is it comfort? What's your idol? Is it control? Is it power? Is it pleasure? What's your idol? It's the thing behind the thing. You've always asked yourself, why do I keep on running to the same wrong guy? Because you're worshiping one of these idols. You've always asked yourself, why am I eating till I hurt myself? Because you're worshiping one of these idols. Why am I shopping and the dead is just climbing? Because you're worshiping one of these idols rather than Christ. So here it is. Listen, this week, here's what you get to do. You get to go to Jesus and you get to say, Jesus, you get to sit with your pain. And run to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you say, here's the truth about me. Here's the truth about me. I prefer ice cream over your comfort. That's the truth about me. If it's power, here's the truth about me. I prefer to control her life rather than you having full reign on her life and mine. What's that's the truth. So you repent. You tell Jesus, this is the truth about me. I'm an idolater. I'm addicted. I'm an idolater. And then you go, now Jesus, would you set my heart on you? Would you show me how you satisfy these longings, these lonelinesses, these hungers, these fears, these insecurities? Would you show me? And he does. And he does. Listen, if you're here, you don't have to pursue addiction. You can pursue Christ. And my prayer is that you would. My prayer is that you would. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find.
My soul will rest in 